Monday, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It's been more than two weeks since journalist and Metro Detroit native Danny Fenster was detained by security forces in Myanmar. Fenster has earned a reputation for telling stories of the persecuted and the downtrodden in America and abroad. Now, his family and supporters say he's facing persecution himself. Many people here in Michigan and in the federal government are working tirelessly to try to free him and return him home here to Southeast Michigan. I want to welcome two of those people to the program. Congressman Andy Levin is a Democrat from Bloomfield Township, represents Michigan's 9th District. He is leading Michigan's congressional delegation to have Danny Fenster freed from captivity and returned home. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. To Detroit Thanks, today. Stephen. It's good to be with you, yes. as always. Yes, and uh, we also have with us Brian Fenster, who is Danny Fenster's brother. Brian, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you so much for uh, for the opportunity here. Appreciate yeah. it. So let's start with the uh, background on Danny and what happened to him, what has happened to him in, uh, in Myanmar. Uh, Congressman, I'll, I'll let you go first. Well... Uh, Danny was trying to come home to see Brian and his folks, and, and, you know, they do live in Huntington Woods, and uh, he was at the airport, and they grabbed him, and, uh, you know, without any good reason, obviously without a warrant, no proper process, and it took a while to find out where he is. We now do know he's in uh, the insane prison. That's not insane in English. That's I-N-S-E-I-N, mm-hmm. but it's a terrible prison with a long history of, of uh, political prisoners. And so we are just bound and determined to work with the family, which has done just an amazing job of, you know, carrying the torch to get Danny out of there. But we're going to do everything we can to get him out mm-hmm. immediately and unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, uh, as journalists, we always understand that uh, – that the privileges we have in this country uh, don't necessarily apply in 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 other countries, and that uh, there are places in the world where governments can retaliate against you uh, for what you say or what you do. Give us a sense of what your brother thinks about all of that, and uh, how how much he he thought of the potential danger he was in. Did he believe? that he might be in danger for the things that he was saying and writing. Yeah, you know, he 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 knew what he was getting into for sure, um, but he, he carries a, a deep responsibility. There's a, there is a responsibility when you're a journalist to to be accurate, to be truthful, to to uh, you know, it's a cliche thing to say, we keep saying it, but it's the truth. I mean, to be a voice for the oppressed to be a voice for the voiceless. And, uh, I, you know, he, he's very uh, selfless that way. And um, another thing we talk a lot about today is uh, privilege. And he, he absolutely checks his privilege every single day um, and is humbled by, by his work and, and helping people. So he knew what he was, the potential, what he was getting into. Um, but again, he carries that responsibility very closely. Mm-hmm. And at the time he, he was there, I mean, he's been there just over two years. Uh, ironically, he moved there May 3rd, 
2019 on World Press Freedom Day. Mm. Um, so at the time, you know, they were operating under a democracy, and you know, the, these these troubles w- weren't happening, obviously. But um, journalists have been leaving since the coup without issue, uh, which started in February. So yeah, we're very very puzzled. Um, he didn't think he was a direct target in any way. So we're just we're just trying to get some answers first and foremost, establish his physical, mental, and emotional well-being because it's been, I think we're day 18 right now, and mm. we haven't spoken to him. Yeah. So so give me a sense of how your family is is managing through this. Uh, as you point out, the maddening part, or maybe the most maddening part, uh, seems to me to be that you just you just don't know what, what could be happening to him. Yeah, I mean, you know, we know this is going to take time. Things move incredibly slow there which is frustrating, but we understand this is how this regime is operating. We just want to talk to him. We just want to make sure he's okay in, in the least. Then we can worry about getting him home. Um, the family is, it's, you know, as you can imagine, it's, it's not good. Each day is, is getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are broken up, but they are showing incredible resolve in speaking with the media and keeping his story out there. Personally, I am. I, I haven't really dealt with it, to be honest. I'm, I'm just trying to take that energy and turn it into uh, helping create this movement to get him home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Congressman, talk about the ways in which you know, as a member of Congress, you're able to try to get uh, to try to get Danny freed from uh, from captivity, and and what that process, I guess, looks like. Well, it's it's evolved, Stephen, over over these short couple of weeks here, I guess. But uh, first and foremost, it's the job of of our State Department and our other parts of our executive branch. And I and so one thing I could do is pick up a phone and get access to ambassadors around the world. And I I think that very first day I talked to our ambassador uh, in Burma or Myanmar. We I tend to just call it Burma, which is it's you know, older name and mm-hmm. informal name. And, uh, you know, and since then, we've just been in touch constantly um, with the, se- the secretary's office, the Office of Consular Affairs, um, the, uh, you, the Burmese ambassador here in Washington, I talked to on a regular basis, um, started calling neighboring countries ambassadors, uh, ambassadors of countries that may have influence. We're branching out. Well, I think a baseline thing is this is an extremely isolated country, and it's a coup regime, right, that isn't treating its own people very well. And the U.S. doesn't have a lot great relationship, in part because it's so isolated, but in part because we have values and we are critical of the regime. And so not only are we working with through official channels, but now I'm reaching out to and, and, and with in total coordination with the family to anybody who might have influence to mm. be able to get uh, Danny out. Mm. So, um, you know, there's uh, we're, we're basically trying to turn over every rock to see what the lever might be that, that gets them out. I, and I just have to say that they're violating you know, the, the the international laws, the Vienna Convention requirements on consular access, mm-hmm. 
We should have had access to him immediately. He literally still has not been able to have any contact with our embassy there. That is unacceptable and illegal. Um, and so we're all, we're all pushing for that. Um, but we're really trying to see what uh, what can be done. And, I, you know, you can say, well, it's an insular regime. But I think the, the campaign the family has created, the way Brian is talking about he hasn't dealt with it yet. That's because every day he is just basically running this very organic, powerful campaign of love and concern and connection. I mean, the people I've talked to, who you know, Berkeley Bears and journalists and, you know, people who uh, know the, the uh, Buddy and Rose Fenster or know Brian or Danny, it's just amazing what they've done. And I, it matters, Stephen. I feel like it really matters because our White House and our State Department, the folks who do social media and so forth, they know when something has legs. Mm -hmm. And this family has just not let go on telling Danny's story. And it's been inspiring. And we're just going to not stop working until we get him out of there. So, so and, uh, and if I if I could jump in real quick, Stephen, so sorry. Um, That's okay. I, I have to. We have to give credit where it's due. I mean, Congressman Levin. Uh, we we say in our family, he's our guardian angel, <laughs> and uh, he really is. Uh, we talk every day, and um, he, he has done just an incredible job of of kind of garnering support from our our whole delegation in Michigan. So, I mean, it's you know we've been working hard. They've been working hard, too. Mm. Uh, uh, Andy, um, Brian mentioned uh, earlier the, the coup that's taken place uh, in Myanmar, and uh, I, I'm wondering how much more complicated that makes these uh, negotiations and whether uh, officials in the U.S. have any relationships with the new authorities uh, in, in that country. Well, so, I mean, first of all, I just have to say personally how weird this is for me, Stephen, because I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and not only that, I'm on the Asia Subcommittee, and not only that, I'm the Vice Chair of the Asia, Asia Subcommittee, and I wrote the, our, H, our HRES 134, which passed the House, mm -hmm. criticizing the coup. <laughs> so it's just, I'm not happy that this thing I've been studying has come home to roost, this personally. Mm. But I think it's important to point out that the quote-unquote new coup regime is the same led by the same general who's been, you know, the ultimate power in Burma for many years. Hmm. So it's it's uh it's not a new thing, it's a kind of back to the future thing and they um you know, you've got North Korea, I mean you can count on a few fingers uh, regimes that are more isolated than this one mm -hmm. and the coup has certainly complicated things. But, you know, the military there was the ultimate authority, even during the tender experiment with democracy that they had. And remember how imperfect it was. I mean, there was a genocide against the Rohingya perpetrated by this military that has, you know, fully taken back power because they didn't like the outcome of the election in November there. And, uh, you know, the minority peoples around the uh, periphery, not just the Rohingya, but the Kachin and Karin and Chan and other peoples. There's over a million and a half people of those ethnic groups. They didn't even participate in November. You know, so it's a complicated history of sort of trying to begin to have a democracy that was cut off very violently. And this regime 
you know, has suppressed all dissent. And here you have this brave, idealistic American guy in there just telling the truth, doing nothing wrong. We've really been able to confirm, Stephen, that every I was dotted and T was crossed about his status, you know, that the, that the information service he was working for was they were paying the taxes. He had the paperwork. There's just no reason for this. Um, and it should, be, it should be stated also that he wasn't inciting violence or using his personal beliefs in his work. He was, he was at a desk as an editor and confirming English translations mm. um, that, from the reporters. So he, he was not on the streets. Yeah. And working for a, for a web service that the government hasn't shut down and they haven't been arresting people. So we think they may have just made a mistake here. They may have, um, you know, thought he was working for a, a, a different web service that he used to work for. But that was like before the coup. That we, there's just no legitimate reason for this. And, you know, in a way that gives us obviously it's outrageous, but in a way it gives you hope, right, that if you can penetrate through and, you know, find a way for them to uh, realize that he's not a threat to them, you know, that maybe we can get him sprung out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Andy Levin, uh, Congressman who represents Michigan's 9th District. Uh, always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Uh, thanks for coming by and thanks for what you're doing to try to uh, get Danny Fenster uh, freed. Thanks so much, Stephen. Keep the faith, everybody. Yes. And Brian Fenster. Uh, brother of Danny Fenster, of course, we all uh, send our best wishes uh, for uh, his quicker release uh, at some point uh, to get him back uh, home. But I really appreciate you coming uh, on the program and talking as well. This is this is great, Stephen. We appreciate you and your your audience. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at a new book on the recalibration and rebirth of the Democratic Party. Think of how low the party was and felt after the 2016 election, and then think about the bounce back in 2018 and then in 2020. What produced that bounce back, and what are the dynamics going forward for the party in governance? Stay with us for more Detroit Today.